Dr. Tom Ray, a John Maxwell Certified Leadership Coach. Welcome to Life, Love, and Leadership, where we discuss everything pertaining to life, love, and leadership. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to Life, Love, and Leadership. I'm Tom Ray, and joining with me on the line is my co-host and friend, Ken Shelton. Hi, Ken. Hey, Tom. It's good to see you again today, and I'm excited about today's podcast. Yes, it's going to be a too. great time as we talk about all in the family. Yes. Awesome. So what's our first agenda for today? Well, if you've never watched our podcast before or listened to it before, we begin every podcast with uh, an attitude of gratitude. And it's just a word. It's a word that we want to reflect on. I'll have one, Tom will have one, we'll talk about why it's important to us. And today, my attitude of gratitude is the word variety. Variety is really important to me. And if you know anything about me, you know that I'm pretty spontaneous and I love variety. And I've just listed four things that variety does for us. First of all, it expands our awareness of life that's around us and it keeps us from being singly focused. Uh, it also encourages empathy because we see other people and what their needs are, and we could put ourselves in their place. It also enhances our sense of humor, which is desperately needed. And finally, it elevates your creativity. So those four things uh, really are a byproduct, are byproducts of a variety in our lives. And I'm grateful for that. That's my attitude of gratitude. How about you, Tom? That was great. Uh, mine today is connection. Um, I love it when there's a connection from me to another person or from that other person to me. Um, I, I love that, uh, that perhaps that synergy that happens between the two of us as we're beginning to connect uh, on a, a maybe an intimate level or uh, just a uh, just an opportunity to connect with one another. I, I really appreciate a connection today. So that's what I'm thankful for. It's it's a little different and, and off the my normal beaten pattern. But uh, but that's what I'm thankful for today. So uh, what's our topic? What are we what are we talking about today? We're talking about all in the family. And, uh, you know, it's it's fun to do podcasts on parenting. It's fun to do podcasts on marriage. It's fun to do podcasts on siblings. So we just put it all in a big pot, turned it on a low simmer and added all those things in. And we're going to focus on marriage and uh, raising our children and the benefits, the proud moments, the not so proud moments, and uh, what the keys to a successful, long marriage uh, really might look like. I've been married for 48 years to my lovely bride, Kitty, and she's my childhood sweetheart. How about you, Tom? How long have you been married? Uh, going on 32 years this year. Um, oh, you're getting old, bud. <laughs> <laughs> 32 years. Uh, she's my childhood sweetheart. And uh, I'll dive into that a little more in a little bit. But uh, yeah, 32 years going on. Yes. So uh, when we talk about all in the family you know there used to be a tv show by that name and that tv show was hilarious because of the uh period of time in the 70s uh and uh, archie bunker and his pinko commie son-in-law 
and his wife eat it you know and then the daughter and you know it was just all funny and it was political and it was uh, a window into a really dysfunctional family that somehow made it work well here's the the rough news we're all a little dysfunctional okay so if you feel like your family isn't dysfunctional well that's proof that you are dysfunctional <laughs> because all of us are a little dysfunctional. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that we understand that we have areas where we can grow and areas where we've been brilliant and successful and areas where we've miserably failed. And so we want to talk about some of those, but we want to begin, first of all, with the secret to a long marriage, because um, nobody gets married just to get divorced. Divorces happen, separations happen, they're painful. Um, I, I, my heart goes out to people that have had to endure the difficulty of separation and divorce. Uh, as a minister, I've spent a lot of time consoling, comforting people, counseling people around the ideas of restoration and healing. Uh, and uh, I know some churches have really strict standards against divorce and of course, divorce is not a good concept. It's not a good idea. But sometimes if you're in an abusive situation or if your spouse has been unfaithful to you, then that might be the alternative that you choose. Or maybe your spouse just left you. Whatever it is, whatever the circumstances, today we want to talk about the flip side of that coin and what it takes to have a long and successful marriage. And I hope that you'll benefit from it and enjoy it. Tom, how would you start this out? What do you have to say about a long marriage? A long marriage. I, you know, one of the things that I see develop more often than not is uh, the failure to uh, forgive. Mm -hmm. um, we're imperfect people. You mentioned already that there's families that are dysfunctional and, and we're dysfunctional on, on a lot of occasions, right? There's things that we do. We hurt our, our significant other, um, whether we're being intentionally or intentional or not. And, and so with holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness, um, we, we set this bar and say, okay, honey, uh, in order to gain my approval again, you have to jump over this bar. And then when our spouse attempts to jump over that bar, we raise the bar higher because we want to hold that unforgiveness against them. And, and so um, so what we've learned in my marriage, uh, our marriage with my wife, Gina and I, uh, is is to forgive. Now, I'm, I'm a little quicker to forgive than she is, <laughs> um, uh, to be honest. Uh, but um, I'm normally the one that's always at fault. <laughs> so, um, uh, so, but it's, it's, I, I'm thankful that um, we have this uh, give and take in regards to uh, forgiveness, because I think that's a big part of the relationship. Because when we're holding on to for unforgiveness, the, the relationship cannot grow as it's intended, because we're always looking at the other person through those filters, through those glasses of unforgiveness. And uh, until we can get over that and say, okay, I'm dealing with an imperfect person, uh, but I, I hope and believe the best in them. Uh, you know, the uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 
13, it talks about what love is. It's patient, it's kind, it doesn't keep records of wrong, uh, things of that nature. nature. And so uh, I think that's one of the key areas. Uh, obviously, there are others, uh, but that one is a big one. And if I can throw in one more, it's, the, it's that of communication. Uh, when we don't communicate, we lose the effectiveness in the relationship. And then bitterness and resentment can settle in to the relationship and drive a wedge between you and your uh, significant other. And uh, I like to share this when I'm when I'm talking about marriage, and maybe I've gotten off on a little rabbit tra trail here, Ken, but um, uh, think of a, a triangle, um, you know, you here and your spouse here, and God being up at the top there. And, and as we continue to rise up and get closer to God, we end up getting closer to one another. And, and so that's is something that I share and teach on a regular basis. But for my wife and I, that's what it's been. It's been about forgiveness. It's been about uh, staying committed in the relationship that we're, we're in this for the long haul and that uh, divorce is not, not even an option. Um, I've, I've shared this too, that uh, I've heard this, I don't know this to be a fact, but I've heard that there are no uh, uh, parachutes on a commercial flight for the pilot. There are no parachutes, meaning that the pilot's got to do everything in his power or her power in order to uh, land that plane safely because his life depends on it. Right. What about you, Ken? Well, you know the old saying, if a tree falls in the woods and no one is there, does it really make a noise? Uh, can anybody hear it? But actually in a marriage, it's uh, if a man is alone in the woods, is it really his fault? So, you know, there are a lot of ways to look at, <laughs> at uh, who's at fault in any given situation. But uh, with that in mind, I want to introduce certain stages of marriage development. So when a relationship is first beginning, uh, two things are happening simultaneously. You are uh, simultaneously, you are forming a friendship and quickly moving into a romance. So friendship and romance seem to happen simultaneously. It's not always clear which one is first because of another added ingredient called passion. So friendship plus passion equals romance. And so as that early uh, nucleic expansion happens and you find yourself, I think I, I, think I really love this person, this is great. Uh, you make your plans and suddenly the future looks like a beautiful part of your life. And then it's a level co called discovery. And so you discover a lot of things about the other person and also about yourself. Every person brings into the relationship the qualities, both good and bad, of their family of origin, how they were raised. And so the relationships that uh, a man or a woman have had in their lives before coming into a marriage, they will bring those into the marriage. So the spouse will uh, vicariously take on the role of a parent, whether it be a, a mother or a father, will also develop into a sibling rivalry, which is where a lot of arguments come from because somebody has to be right. Well, that's a sibling trait. And so uh, the sooner that we see that, our romance is waning in passion because we've introduced sibling rivalry or we've expected our spouse 
to actually parent us, the quicker we realize that, the better our marriage is going to be and the uh, longer it will last. And then as we move past those, the middle ages of life really revolve around the thing that you brought uh, to attention, Tom, and that is forgiveness. So when we're young, it's all passion, excitement, learning, discovery, and then we have to forgive one another because we realize that we didn't marry the perfect person and the passion uh, really uh, glazed over those imperfections. We saw them, we knew them, we just didn't want to really deal with them, but now we have to, and also our own. And nobody likes to be at fault. So depending on how mature we are or how uh, those kinds of things were handled when we were growing up, we'll just follow the same patterns unless we intend to do that differently. And of course, personality comes into it as well, your unique personality and how it meshes. There are a lot of personality tests from Enneagrams to the Myers-Briggs temperament analysis or the uh, Kiersey temperament sorter and spiritual gifts analyses that can help you try to determine uh, what your strengths and weaknesses are and your spouses, because that will help you get along and understand one another. There's a great book out by Robert Kiersey called Please Understand Me, followed by the sequel, Please Understand Me, Volume 2, because <laughs> it's not quite as easy to understand you and get you in a book that thick. You have to have two of those. But it's a great book with a self-assessment, and it's a take off the Myers-Briggs personality assessment. But uh, then after you've come through that stage of um, forgiveness, there's resolution so that you have entered into a time where your children uh, potentially will be having children and you see a whole new level. It's like a, a plane, an airplane ascending and, and rising through turbulence. And a lot of people bail out in the turbulence, just like you mentioned. But if we could just get past the turbulence and get above the clouds, Wow, it's just so beautiful. You're above the storm. And there's a certain point in life when you have gotten past some of those early difficulties and midlife forgivenesses that you hold your firstborn grandchild and the world is a totally different place. Hmm. And uh, then your second grandchild. And then, you know, you have to learn to relate to your children as adults. So all of that, you know, it's the secret to a, a long marriage, I would say. None of those things can happen unless you're certain that you've married your best friend. If mm. you know you've married your best friend, you can weather the storms. If you don't like the person and you only love the person, you will get tired of the person. So you have to really like them for a long time. And then that helps you love them because love is not a feeling, it's an action. It's mm -hmm. a decision that creates a feeling. So that's my two cents, or maybe I guess that was about a nickel. <laughs> 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 All that, of course, is built on a spiritual foundation. You know, my way of thinking, it's like, if you, you know, you talked about the triangle and God at the top, and yeah. but he's also the foundation of what we do. You know, we, yes. we pray, uh, you know, I just want to introduce one thing. Do you and Gina pray together? Yes. Well, I find that really hard. Kitty and I, it's never really worked well for Kitty and I. Uh, we, we start out praying together and then we'll just, each of us pray privately on our own. Uh, probably because I talk too much. You know, that's probably the thing. You know, I'm a very vocal, I'm a verbal person, you know, and so. 
I, like I've dominated the, the last seven minutes. So it's just how I'm wired. But uh, family devotions for us is uh, they're casual. They happen around the dinner table. Yes. He will say, you know what I was thinking today? I, I was thinking about uh, so-and-so at work, and it reminded me of the scripture, la-da-da, and we'll just ease into it. It's not a, let's now read Genesis 12, 27, never boil a goat in its own milk. What? <laughs> what? You know, that's not going to help your marriage at all. So, <laughs> well, so anyway. Uh, you know, I will say, uh, we don't pray often together, but we do pray together. Um, I wish it was more often, but I, I think it's kind of like what you said. And and sometimes uh, when I pray, I, I get uh, kind of uh, thinking about everything in the world to pray about. And my wife is is now snoozing or, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. or you know, she's gone somewhere else uh, in her mind or whatever. Uh, but uh, but yeah, certainly we come together and, and pray, but not I just wanted to preface that just to make sure uh, that was clear. But um, why don't you tell us, uh, let, let's just share a quick nugget about how you and Kitty met. Oh, Kitty and I met at church. I was uh, 16 years old and Kitty, uh, I was raised in the Church of God in Pontiac, Michigan. Uh, went there since I was five years old. And I knew everybody. I knew all the kids. I knew the kids that were my age and those a little older, a little younger. And, you know, the girls at church were you know, like my sister, like my friends, you know, I, mean, I just, I couldn't see myself really being in, in love with any of them because I just didn't see them that way. And uh, then one of my good friends uh, brought uh, a girl to church and uh, she was actually interested in my friend's brother. And so they were an item and you can't hang around this guy if you don't go to his church. So they went to church together. And I just thought she was the cutest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And it was only a matter of months before God intervened and the boy quit showing interest in her. And I was right there. And so I just said, uh, introduced myself and we talked and we laughed and we found out that we liked each other and uh, I invited her over to my house and met my my folks and uh, then met her folks and uh, we began to develop that friendship and we fell in adolescent love very quickly and we were young and it was strong and I think it frightened both of us and so we made the decision that it probably, if it was going to last, we probably should take a deep breath and separate our romantic interests a little bit so that we could learn ourselves. And uh, I went off to college, dated a few girls. She dated a few guys. I came back from college, second year, I realized I was still in love with her. And so it just began to develop. She felt the same thing. And so... We were married uh, five years after we first really met, and uh, now we've been married for 48 years. We have three lovely daughters and 10 grandchildren. Wow. Uh, uh, happily ever after, right? Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, we've had our bumps. Yeah, no of doubt about it. We've, we've had our bumps. We, uh, yeah. in, in the middle years of our, of our marriage, in our 40s, uh, man, it, it 
that was challenging because you know you get to that middle time and you're reevaluating what we often refer to as a midlife crisis is more often a midlife reevaluation you're trying to rethink your priorities and your decisions and uh what you want to do and uh, you know I'm a singer and a songwriter but I was also a pastor and I really wanted to make another album I had made one early on and I wanted to get a contract and um and so I set off to do that and Kitty wanted to finish her uh postgrad her education and become a teacher and so at the same time she went off into the field of education and I went off into the field of entertainment and I was on the road and she was at home with kids and I was we were still pastoring a church and so that brought some great tension in our marriage and we uh, had to deal with that frustration and anxiety and I'm sure our children observed it and felt it but I'm sure they also saw us work through it and um I began to write songs about it. And some of those you can hear on my latest album. <laughs> it's a good time to pitch it. Legacy Songs for My Family. It was released in this last September. It's wherever you listen to music. Ken Shelton Legacy. I wrote 13 songs for my wife, my daughters, and our 10 grandchildren. And it's beautifully orchestrated. And uh, I think that you'll enjoy it. And there are, if you go to my website, Ken Shelton Music, Dot com, you can click on the link that says stories behind the songs and you can learn a little bit about the inner workings of our family and the way that things came about. But um, if you work with it, it'll work for you. Hmm. That's good. That's good. Uh, if you work with it, um, it'll work for you. I often talk about the the ROI in marriage, the return on investment. What are you investing into your marriage? Uh, makes all the difference. And uh, uh, sometimes we're not investing. We've stopped investing a long time ago, and we're still hoping that we get some residual. Uh, right. And uh, it doesn't often work like that. If you have a flower uh, in, a, in a pot next to your window, uh, don't water it and see how long it, it keeps growing right uh, so it requires that care so my wife and i gina um we met also in church uh, my dad pastored the rochester church of god at the time uh, and this is back in the day and uh my wife was uh picked up by uh the folks doing our bus ministry route um, they saw her and, and her siblings and approached them and, and invited them to church. And so they got in the, the church bus and, and came to church. And, and that's where I saw her golden hair. And as she walked, it would just sway back and forth. And, and I was enamored as a, as a 12 year old, uh, at the 10, maybe 10 at the time. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, uh, I, I told my wife last night. Uh, as we were laying in bed, getting ready to drift off to sleep, that I just remembered that we played a uh, post office together back at that time, and it's it's a kissing game, and yes. you play with multiple people, and you just whoever's name gets picked, you you go off in a in a secluded place and and kiss, 
And so a good a good church game. Yes. Yeah, a good church game. Good good church youth group fellowship game. Yeah, exactly. So um, but at the age of twelve, we were boyfriend and girlfriend. And uh, and it was um uh, it was always uh, just a beautiful thing. Uh, uh, we had some bumps in the road along that path, but in uh, 1991 we made it uh, official and and uh, got married and and uh, we're three kids and uh, and a daughter in love uh, that we have now and no grandchildren yet. So that's where we're at. Oh, that's they'll come around. Just yes. give it time. They'll show up. And, uh, you know, my wife knew, you know, women are more attuned to the dynamics of relationships than men tend to be. And my wife uh, knew that when our first grandchild uh, was on the way, she, from the moment that it was announced, she was emotionally preparing herself for it. And I was like... We've already been through three births. It's going to be great. It's going to be good. But let's, uh, we have other things to do. And then he was born. And my world started spinning on a completely different kind of uh, revolution and direction. And uh, I just was immediately gobsmacked, as the Irish say. Well, I was gobsmacked. And uh, I went down to the gift shop and I bought a little blue teddy bear. And I brought it in and I laid it in his uh, little bassinet there in the hospital. And uh, he slept with that little teddy bear until he wore it out and bought a new one. And he slept with that until he was about 16 or 17 years old. And uh, I love that boy. He's 21 now. I love him. I love him so much. And there have been nine more since him. And I love every one of them with the exact same just uh, craziness. They all have me wrapped. The uh, <laughs> one of our granddaughters turns ten uh, this year, and uh, her brothers. She has three brothers. They have birthdays in the summer, so they get to just have a great time. And uh, she has a birthday. No, they have birthday during school. That's what it is. That their birthday is during the school year, so they get to take the day off school for their birthday. And her birthday is in the summer in July, and she doesn't get to take a day off school. So she invented the idea of a half birthday. And so she did this when she was about seven, right? And so she calls me and she asks me uh, for the last few years, and again this year, Papa, my half birthday's coming up. Will you spend the day with me? Well, what are you gonna do? I'm gonna postpone anything and everything I have to do. And I'm going to go be with her and do, you know what we're going to do? Whatever she wants to do. Yeah. So we've taken hikes. I've taken her on dates. I've taken her to eat. We've, I spoil her rotten. I'll go to the candy store and buy her whatever she wants. I'll buy her gifts, you know, it's, and she just eats it up. So, and, and she's hilarious. She's just nine now. She won't turn 10 for another six months, but she called me yesterday I was in worship team practice. I was playing my guitar. I, I hear my Apple watch go off. I look, it's Claire and she's calling me at eight o'clock and I'm playing the guitar and I can't answer it. And what she wanted to know is to make sure I had her half birthday on my calendar Wednesday so that I would be sure and be there on time. <laughs> <laughs> 
the uh, 11 year old grandson is a great soccer player. He uh, really enjoys, he's on a track, travel soccer team and he, um, he needed to ride to a soccer game up in Grand Blanks about a half hour away. And mom was busy doing things. Dad was busy doing things. And so he said, uh, well, I just want Papa Ken to come and take me. She goes, well, you know, we could work. He goes, no, I want Papa Ken to come and take me. And so I got to spend an entire evening with Jackson and he talked my ear off. And it was so much fun just to learn about his world. So what I'm giving you and of course, if you're a grandparent listening, you already know what I'm doing. I am holding out the carrot to every family who does not yet have grandchildren. And I am saying in the middle of your trouble, hang in there, get past the clouds. This is what it looks like. Mm, that's good. Uh, so let's, let's, uh, we've talked about kids. Let's talk about a not so proud moment as a dad. Well, you go first. <laughs> I go first. Ah, uh, yeah, I think I, I don't remember if I shared something on the last podcast, but um, I do remember one thing. Um, I was, we were entertaining some people at our house and I sent my boys to the garage to retrieve something, um, but I didn't tell them how to go about doing it. Um, I often share this story for, for, clarity sake uh, about Johnny who's playing in the street and mom says Johnny get out of the street and Johnny runs in the house the next day Johnny's in the street and mommy says Johnny get out of the street and Johnny runs in the house the next day Johnny's playing in the street and mommy says Johnny get out of the street and then Johnny says mommy what's the street <laughs> uh, and so I sent my boys to our garage to to retrieve something and they were gone for like a half an hour and and so i go in there and they're goofing off in the garage and i went off on them and it come to find out they didn't understand what it was that i was asking them to do and so i felt really bad for going off on them uh in that moment because they didn't know uh what they needed to do so that's one of <laughs> several uh not so proud dad moments what about you kim uh, I think my first not so proud dad moment was uh, when our oldest daughter, Krista, uh, who's now a very successful professional, she's an educator and um, a wonderful mother of three great kids. Uh, she was just about a year and a half old. She was a very bright uh, baby. Uh, she was talking in uh, complete sentences on some subjects at eight months old. She was uh, way ahead of the game. You know, we at eight months, we visited my college roommate, Joel Ledford in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, I, I said, Krista, this is Uncle Jojo. She goes, hi, Uncle Jojo. I'm a monster. <sighs> you know, she was eight months old. And so she wow. just would communicate. She was smart, right? So I was a youth pastor at that same church, Church of God in Pontiac. And um she went with us everywhere we went and we had a large youth group and those kids all of them took turns hanging on to Krista and Krista loved them all and she milked all of them for candy and milk duds and whatever she could get and gum her favorite line when somebody wanted her she'd say add any gum 
you know, so it was like a bribe, you know, come on to me, Krista, had any gum, like for the right price, right? She's an extortionist. But uh, <laughs> we were both, we took the kids bowling one time, the youth group, and Krista was with us. And uh, I was certain that she was um, back in the crowd with the kids, because that's where she had been. But she followed me to the ball carriage, and I picked up my ball, and I got ready to uh, backstroke and and I hit her in the head with a bowling ball that was probably not my favorite moment as a dad uh it hit her right here and she fell back and uh oh I was just so upset and it's just one of those things that can happen and uh she cried and I went over there and I forgot about bowling I sat the ball down and you know we looked we got some ice we put it on her head and she had a nice little you know bruise on her head and you know we had her checked out and she was fine and uh but i felt just horrible i felt horrible that is a not so pro the other is really more of a the times plural in my parenting when uh my career my occupations required me to be really focused on things and my kids needed my attention and uh I remember one time I was uh, in the basement. I had an office in the basement and it was not a finished basement at the time. It was a home that we were renting. And I had some important things I had to get done in a quick amount of time. And Allison, my middle daughter, uh, who is also now a wonderful professional, mother of four children, uh, she came down to play with her dolls underneath my desk at my feet. And so I'm there just doing whatever it was I was doing at my desk. And she loved to talk. She was a little chatterbox, you know, daddy, look what I did, daddy, daddy, look, look what I have, look what I have, you know, and I'm just focusing on it. Mm -hmm. No, daddy, look. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, mm -hmm, I give the nod. That's good, honey. Mm -hmm. I'm not really focusing. And she got up in my lap and she took my face in her hands and she said, daddy, look at my face. And in my heart, I heard the words from the psalmist, Lord, when you said, seek my face, your face, O Lord, will I seek. Mm. And I realized how important it is to get into the face of God sometimes. Yeah. And how important it is to listen when our children want our attention. And to give them the one thing they want, our face, huh. our eyes, our ears, our heart. I closed the books on what I was doing. I pushed my desk aside and I spent the balance of the time playing with Allison because she got my heart. Huh. So yeah. she turned as a little baby, you know, she was really only a couple of years. Well, no, let's see. She would have been two and a half, three, three years old. Uh, she captivated my attention and took my not-so-proud moment into a lesson that I've never forgotten and that deepened my spiritual life. Uh, um, yes. <laughs> um, wow, that's good. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a pin in that one right there. And uh, let's move on to our next topic really quick. 
Um, that was wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. I'm, I'm sure a lot of us can either, it, it either resonates with us or makes us uh, sad that we didn't take that opportunity um, when it presented itself. So the next question is uh, a proud moment as a dad. Balls in your court again. Yeah, balls in my court. Proud moment. Um, I've got so many. Um, where do I start? So one thing that I, I actually been sharing more as of late was when all of my kids, my whole family was on the stage um, doing worship. Um, beautiful. That was one of the high points of my life. I could have just died and gone to heaven right then. You know, uh, uh, everything on the bucket list did not matter from that point uh, moving forward because that was so important to me. And uh, it was so special. My daughter danced and my wife sang and I sang and my middle son, Justin, my daughter Ashton danced. And my son, Justin played the drums and my son, Ricky played guitar and my wife, Gina sang and I sang and played the keyboard. And it was just uh, fantastic. Um, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know that I've done anything else in my life that could top that. It, you um, were a regular uh, Partridge worship family. <laughs> first Partridge season, family. yes. Oh, I started to sing the Partridge family to the Adams family theme song. But that, that that's a beautiful moment you had. That's, yes. that's great. Yes, absolutely. So that's one of many. What do you have? Oh, well, you know, uh, I think the my proudest moments are when i uh watch my parent my children parent their children mm. and i watch them try to uh either consciously or unconsciously uh, emulate the way that we were raised i'm sure that they made a decision to do some things differently than we did uh, that's just the nature of life and that's how it should be uh, but they also chose to continue certain traditions for their children that we had started for them. And uh, so that's a good thing. And I'm extremely proud that my children like James Taylor music and uh, that when we're together in the car, we can all sing and harmonize to James Taylor music uh, because my spirituality is really an amalgam of uh, praise and worship music, uh, down-home old-time Pentecost, and James Taylor acoustic guitar singer-songwriting, and Marvin Gaye Motown. I don't know how to, I mean, if you took any one of those ingredients out, I wouldn't be the same musician I am now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just think that's how it works, you know, and I'm happy for it. But my kids have good taste in music. Kitty is an educator and has a master's in children's lit. And uh, so she is just a bookworm. All of us are just avid readers, but Kitty made it a point to make sure our girls loved to read and they all love to read. And so I'm really proud about that. So hats off to Kitty, my wife. So we have books everywhere in our house, it's ridiculous. Um, I mean, we have bookshelves but then we have books stacked on all sides of the bookshelves on top of the bookshelves and bins and boxes. And so, but also they're all in church and they're all serving the Lord and they're all trying their best to work through 
I think also um, I taught my kids that when you're struggling, it's okay to get help. Hmm. Um, I went through some really difficult times as a young child uh, from a time that I was about five years old. I was sexually abused as a child by an 18-year-old cousin. It's a really hard subject for some people to listen to because one out of every three children in America have been sexually abused by the time they're 18 years old. So if three of you are listening out there, one of you has been sexually abused probably, and it's a hard subject. Trauma is a lifelong uh, project, uh, getting over it and working through it. And uh, I sought help. I needed help. And I still today at age 69 have a therapist. And I talk to that therapist every single Wednesday. And I keep the ball in front of me because if I don't, I know that I will believe that I'm in control of my emotions and I'm in control of a lot of things. And the fallacy is, you know, that I'm in control. The truth is I'm in control of nothing. You know, I, I need a counselor, a therapist. I think everybody does. And I encouraged my daughters. I encouraged my family. If you're having a difficult time, I will be so proud of you when you call a therapist. And I used that in my own counseling practice because as a pastor, we had Grace Point Guidance Ministries and we had pastoral counselors, state licensed counselors, and a relationship with a community psychotherapist. And so um, when people would come in and talk to me as their pastor, I would meet with them for about three sessions, and then I would try to navigate them toward another counselor if that was necessary. But I always made it a point to tell them when they filled out their intake form how proud I was of them for taking this important step, because I've always been proud of them. But I am so much more proud of you now, because I know how hard this is, and you are so brave to face this, and I am here with you, and I hear you. And uh, it works every time because people basically want to be heard. That's good. Um, so we've got one more question today as we're getting ready to wrap up. But before we do that, um, I want to dive into one more thing. So what's one thing that we can do um, for our kids? So let's let's talk to the the parents who have, uh, you know, young kids in, in their house still, um, what's a tip for them? Well, for me to answer that question, I think the best thing we ever did was say that dinner is at five o'clock every day and everybody has to be there. Mm. And when you're at the table, any subject is available. And so whether it was uh, school curriculum, politics or sex, it all was on the table. So we might have a conversation about sex and then a conversation about what God is doing in our lives and what we're going to do this evening. And what it did for our family was it created a sense of normalcy around those things, that the, the family table was a sacred place. And we talked about things discreetly and honorably. And only when it was our five together, our girls call us the original five. Nice. And so, yeah, so, but of course, when company was over, they were very demure and they handled themselves with great grace. But when we all gathered together on a Tuesday afternoon, I mean, we didn't talk about sex every time we got together. We didn't talk <laughs> about problems every time we got together. Sometimes we just talked 
goofy stuff. Like one of my daughters had fake names for all of us. One of us was George, Pete, Sam, Fred, Leroy, you know, and we all had to sit in certain seats because that one child's you know, he's there, you sit there, you're George during while we eat, you know, I don't know why, it's just how she did it, you know. And another one of our kids picked up an alternate uh, ego identity. Uh, our youngest was Starburst, Queen of the Universe, when she was about two. And so she would come into the dinner table in her tutu and tiara and a wand. And she would say, uh, uh, Starburst, Queen of the Universe, isn't hungry and doesn't want to eat now. <laughs> And she would wave her wand. <laughs> but so much happened around that table at five yeah. o'clock. It was, it was, and really, I have to say that I did it. You know, it, it was easy for me because my family ate together when we could. My dad worked on the second shift. It wasn't easy. So I really loved it. But my wife insisted on it because in her home, dinner was at five o'clock. And I have so much gratitude from my wife for instilling those kinds of traditions. Mm. So. Very good. How about you? Yeah, for me, I, I would just have to say, be there, be present. I think, uh, Ken, when you, you talked about the story of your daughter holding your face and said, look at me, look at my face, you know, I think it's, it's that uh, quality time, uh, taking the time to be with them, to be at the things that are important to them, you know, the football games, the dance yeah. recitals, uh, the running track, uh, all those things, uh, being present for those and being able to celebrate uh, their wins as well as uh, being a shoulder to cry on when the defeats came. Uh, and so being there, I think is very important. And, and I guess secondly is if be a person of consistency, um, uh, of things that are good, things that are good, um, you know, uh, you know, live a life that, of consistency uh, of things that are good. I know you've heard me say it three times, but it's it's very important. And repetition is the father of learning. So uh, there's this story. This this little girl's uh, uh, been asked by her mom to say a blessing over the the meal, and she goes, "Mama, I don't know what to say." And she just she says she just said, "Don't worry, honey. Just say what you've heard your mom say." And so she bowed her head obediently and she said, Lord, why did I invite all these people to dinner? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so with that, let's wrap up with a, a couple of dad jokes and, uh, and then we'll call it a day. Do you have any in your bag of tricks there? Well, my kids will immediately understand what I'm about to say and rehearse it a thousand times in their past. Uh, whenever one of my kids or one of my family members would stub a toe or hurt a foot, uh, my generation grew up with uh, the scare of polio. And so, uh, you know, now it's coronavirus or whatever else, you know, whatever inoculations need to occur. But uh, for us, it was polio. So that was sort of a code word growing up for children in the 50s and the 60s. But um, my children were aware of it. Uh, they were born in the 70s and the 80s. But uh, if they stub their toe, I'll say, oh, no, do you have tolio? Do I have to call a tow truck? Did you get yourself in a toe jam? And so, you know, they would get so irritated at me when I started on tolio. They start chasing me around the house. And so then, you know, that then, oh, my toe hurts. Oh, you got yourself in a toe jam, didn't you? You know, so that's one. How about you? Uh, 
Uh, there's there's quite a, a lot. Um, uh, my wife even scolds me even now because uh, I'm always sharing uh, puns. I, I love puns. Um, uh, the other day, even I said, shared to someone uh, I wasn't paying attention because uh, no, I yeah, I wasn't paying attention because I was stressed out. I think that's what I said. Attention. <laughs> Tension is the word, stress. Anyway, uh, so there's uh, <laughs> quite a few. Uh, but uh, th that was the one that ringed, rung out to me uh, more uh, as of late. But there's, you know, I, I'm just quick-witted, and uh, I'm thankful for uh, the filter that does appear at times on my mouth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, you know, I just told my kids when I was a kid, I had a, a dog with a big head, and uh, we named him Melancholy. And so <laughs> I also tell them when uh, they are upset about something and they say, geez, I'll say, cheese? You like cheese? What kind of cheese do you like? Provolone is best eaten by itself. Get it? Provolone. Cheddar's better. I don't know. Spread it all around. You know, ta -da -ta, you know it's really bad, bad dad humor, uh, but still. It's fun. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, I think we're going to just put a pin in that one right there and uh, get to wrap up this this pro this uh, podcast. Uh, we also want to just uh, point you to the fact that uh, Ken does have some music out, uh, so you can reach him at what's your website? KenSheltonMusic.com. K-E-N-S-H-E-L-T-O-N Music.com. You can find my latest album, Legacy, right there when you get on that page. You can listen to it from there on YouTube, Spotify, Pandora, iTunes, wherever you uh, curate your music lists. And uh, you can also uh, contact me if you would like information about where I'm going to be. And I'll give you a couple of dates right now. On February the 19th, I'll be at the Life Point Church Sunday morning at 11 o'clock in Belleville, Michigan. On the 26th of February, I'll be at Evangel Christian Church in Roseville at, I believe they start at 1030, don't they? Uh, on Sunday mornings. And then on March 19th, I'll be at Out, uh, Redemption Outreach Center in Adrian, Michigan, Pastor Scott Tysick. And uh, that'll be about 1030 in the morning. And no, that's an evening service. That's right. That's an evening service. So that'll be about six o'clock. So uh, those will be on my Facebook page. You can find me at Ken Shelton Brighton. I, that's, I live in Brighton. So you can find me. And in fact, you might be watching this on Facebook Live on my Facebook page right now. So with that in mind, please come out. I'd love to see you there. And if you saw us here on this podcast uh, or any of our podcasts, let me know. Awesome. I wanted to point out that uh, I've written a book about marriage uh, it's called The Married Man's Handbook. When I said I do, I meant it. And uh, and so this is kind of our journey. It's kind of shares some stories in there for us, uh, for my wife and I, of my wife and I. And uh, so great resource here uh, available at Amazon and, and uh, wherever you buy books. Um, so that's uh, something you do there. Uh, otherwise, um, I certainly have some music too out there. You just search it on Google or or facebook and you'll find it uh but um also want to tell you about the real leadership company uh first and foremost the life love and leadership podcast 
is a podcast and it's available everywhere you listen to podcasts. So um, this actual, this live uh, podcast that we're doing right now will be transferred into the podcast uh, domain there and uh, you'll be able to listen to it again and uh, watch it on uh, either this platform here or on YouTube. So uh, check that out and please subscribe to our uh, podcast and share it with others. Let them know about it. Um, and then uh, anything real leadership related, uh, we do leadership development, uh, coaching, uh, motivational speaking, and things of that nature. So if you're interested in any of that, you can go to realleadershipcompany.com or you can contact me at tom at realleadershipcompany.com. And then uh, I'm a realtor. I'm a realtor as well. And uh, if you're looking to buy or sell a house, uh, contact me at TomRayRealtor at gmail.com. TomRayRealtor at gmail.com. And I'll be glad to uh, help you uh, find that dream home or, or get rid of that house that you want to get rid of so that you can move on to the next thing. So that about does it for this. Anything else, Ken? One more thing, uh, just music related, but uh, not my music. There's a phenomenal musician by the name of Scott Mulvihill, who for years toured with Ricky Skaggs band, Kentucky Thunder, probably the most proficient bluegrass band in the industry. And he now is uh, on a solo tour. Uh, it's, it's He's a front man, I should say. He has uh, two other guys with him that sing. He's a multi-instrumentalist, but he is primarily an upright bass player. And he is, I don't even know how to describe this guy. He is an amazing singer, songwriter, and instrumentalist. And um, a group that I am participating with and have been for years, Livingston County Christian Musicians, we are bringing him to the Howell Opera House in Howell, Michigan on February the 20th at seven o'clock. I'm telling you, it's a killer concert. It's only $25 a head and you can buy tickets at lccmusicians.org. Thank you. Awesome. Well, I think that wraps up uh, this edition of Life, Love, and Leadership. And again, please subscribe, share, tell others about it. Thank you so much for being a part of this edition of Life, Love, and Leadership. Thanks, everyone.